Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. stand with us as we celebrate Jesus this morning, about the glorious day it was when we came to know him. And if you don't know him, I hope this is the day that you do. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb. Till I met you I was breathing But not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my turn Till I met you You called my name and I day indeed. Go ahead and have a seat. So great to see everyone here this morning. Thank you for being here with us at Peckway Church. 
My name is Scott Munson, and I'm the worship pastor here, and it's always a great honor and a privilege to be with you and to lead worship uh, and come before the throne of God. Inside of your bulletin is a gray connection card. I'm going to put all these things down. I have too many things in my hands, but a gray connection card inside of your bulletin. Go ahead and take that out this morning. Online, you're going to find an online digital card there in the chat window, and I just want to invite you to fill that out during our service today, but this is a great way for us to be able to touch base with one another. You can ask questions. You can leave comments, you can leave your prayer request, uh, either digitally or on this card here this morning as well. But please take a moment to fill that out as we are meeting together here this morning. Also, we are continuing our sermon series, and uh, you know, we've been talking about community and how we're building community together and then how that flows out of us into the community around us. And so, um, you know, as we've been doing that uh, and talking about love, loving one another and loving other people. And today we're going to look at relationships. How do we either build those relationships up or do we tear them down? And, you know, it's sometimes we kind of compartmentalize uh, our day, right, or our, the things that we do in our lives. So Sunday is church day and then we go Monday through Friday or Saturday, and it's the work week, right, or other things we do, and we kind of put God in a box in a way. But I want to encourage you with the scripture this morning, Romans 12.1. I say it a lot. It's one of my favorite verses, and I love it in the message verse, version, and it says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down in its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. And that's verse one and two of Romans chapter uh, 12. And so, you know, many times our lives can sort of be like this. Let's turn our attention to the screen. Come on, man. Some people only care about themselves. vacation. Some people treat others poorly. Do what How many anarchy. times do I There's certain know? things that are right and there's certain things that are wrong. No. So don't believe what all are this you foolishness. Everybody Some people only care about That's being right. Some people don't seem worth the time. But the truth is, Most people are just working to get by. Most people are terrified to reveal their scars. Most people are fighting an invisible battle. Most people are worth the effort because all people are created in the image of God. Where's my pillow? All people carry the glow of the divine. All people matter enough for God to become one of them. God thinks every person is worthy of love. Imagine if we did too. Let's be a church where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything is possible. I believe anything is possible when we embrace what God has done for us and we love others. And so when you know Jesus, when you become his child, then we are a child of his love. And so would you stand with us this morning as we sing about that together today, how Jesus rescues us and we become his
his children.
royalty who would care that much about me let me tell you about my jesus oh he makes a way where there ain't no way rises up from an empty grave ain't no sinner that he can save let me tell you about my jesus his love is strong and his grace is free and the good news is i know that he do the same what he's done for me let me tell you about simply step out and trust him today because he tells us that he's making a way for us. He's already paved that way by what he did for us on the cross. So let's worship him for that this morning. Stop working Even when I don't see it You're working 
together this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are our way maker. God, that when it looks dark around us, when our circumstances seem like they're going to crush us, God, we can trust you. Uh, Lord, this morning as we come into this place, Father, maybe our relationships with our family, uh, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, God, are in shambles today. If they are, I pray that we would learn from your word today, learn from your example today, Jesus, how we can um, have these relationships, God, that are better because of our relationship with you. Jesus, would you change our hearts? Would you make us like you today? Would you make us, our hearts, tender to you now? And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, and thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team, for that genuine reminder that I don't know of a more appropriate song than Waymaker before we talk about relationships, because if your life is like mine and like most people's, then there are relationships in your life that are life-giving, and there's other relationships in your life that probably are struggling. And in those struggling, difficult relationships, you probably wonder, can they be different? And that song reminds us of that God is a way maker, that he can make a way to heal, restore, redeem relationships that we think are beyond restoring, redeeming, and healing. And so I just want to say to you, I have been looking forward to this message. I told you last week I've been looking forward to that one since the beginning for the fact that my heart is one of an evangelist, a heart of a person who loves to see people come to know and then to grow in a relationship with Jesus. And I've been looking forward to this message for a different reason, for the very reason I just share with you, because I understand that if we can learn how to build and maintain relationships, healthy relationships, it really can transform our lives. It really can make our lives better. And so I just want to say with that, welcome to week three of 40 Days of Community. It's hard to believe, at least for me, maybe it is for you, that we're today marks we're halfway through. It's hard to believe we're halfway through the journey. But I want to remind you of our purposes and our focus in this series, in this 40-day campaign. It really is twofold. First, we're focusing on deepening the love and the commitment within our church family. That's the first goal, the first focus. The second goal, the second focus, is that we would reach out into our community around this church family with love and passion and commitment in the name of Jesus. And the reason we're doing that, and the reason we are focusing on both, is because quite simply, God does not want you, He doesn't want me to go through life alone. He wants us to go through life together. And for that reason, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, just a few verses after the one ver- Pastor Scott shared with you this morning. He read for you or shared with you Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me share with you verse 5. Here's what it says. Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. Now, here's the wonderful truth about that. If we're a part of the family of God, if we're a part of the church family, I don't mean this church family, but the church family. If we're part of the church family, the family of God, then the truth is we're connected to one another. We are connected to one another. And folks, that's good news. But here's if not the bad news, but the challenging news in that. that the, the reality is in the family of God, just like any other family, we can become disconnected. Because just like any other family, any other set of relationships, folks, we could have disagreements. We could have differences. We could have, you know, different perspectives and difficulties in that relationship or in those relationships. And so they could become strained, which is why I would say to you, we need to be in small groups. You say, why do I need to be in small groups for that reality? Here's why. Because small groups are really a laboratory for learning relationships. It's in small groups that we learn how to build and practice relational skills. Skills that we can apply across the board, wherever we are, whether it's at work or at home or in our marriage, any relationship. And here's why that's so important. Because most of us, if we're honest, never had a class, never had our parents sit us down and teach us how to build and maintain healthy relationships. 
And the reality is for that, most of our teachers and many of our parents never were taught how to build and maintain healthy relationships. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at how to develop those skills, how you and I can build and maintain healthy relationships because the things we can do and there's things we can avoid to do that in our lives. But here's what I want to say right up front, folks. Every relational problem in your life and mine boils down to one of four negative attitudes. One of four problematic attitudes. And I just want to walk through them with you today, and then I will share with you an antidote. And here's the first negative attitude that will destroy relationships in your life and mine, and it's selfishness. Selfishness destroys relationships. In fact, it's the number one cause of conflict. It's the number one cause of wars. It's the number one cause of divorce. Take a look at what James said. He said, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. Now here's, I think, something we all agree with. When we begin relationship, most of us, probably all of us, when we begin a relationship, we work really, really hard to put our best foot forward. In other words, we work really, really hard to not be selfish. Especially, you know, like when we're dating. You know, you go first. We open the door, right, guys? But then, over time, what can happen is selfishness can creep in, right? We can begin to focus on ourselves rather than the other person. And there are two reasons for that. Two big reasons why selfishness creeps into your relationships and mine. And here's the first big reason. Because by nature, we're selfish. By nature, we're selfish. Now, here's what I mean by that. This is based on Scripture, folks, but the left to ourselves, Scripture tells us that I will think more often than not of my needs, my wants, my desires, and I'll think very little of your wants, your needs, and your desires. By nature, we're selfish. That's who we are as fallen men and women. The second reason that, that we tend to let selfishness creep in our relationship is because our culture feeds our selfishness. It feeds our self-centeredness. Consider these marketing slogans. These are well known and I chose them intentionally. Depending on your age, I promise you you're familiar with all of these or most of these. Have it your way. Just do it. Obey your thirst. And, And here's my least and most unfavorite. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Now, folks, what every one of those marketing slogans does is it encourages us to gratify selfish desires, to do what we want to do, and to think about ourselves. And I want to tell you, folks, that is a relationally toxic way to live. That's why God had Solomon almost 3,000 years ago write these words. He said, selfishness only causes trouble. And if we reflect on history, we reflect on our own personal experience, we know that to be true. We know that selfishness causes nothing but trouble. So selfishness, I'm saying, destroys relationships. So what's the antidote? The antidote, you probably guessed it, is selflessness. It's to be selfless. And let me define selflessness. Selflessness is simply me thinking a little bit less of me and a little bit more of you. It's me realizing and you realizing that the world doesn't revolve around me. Or as I heard one father tell his son one day, he said, son, you're going to get far in life once you figure out that the world's primarily made up of others. That's selflessness. It's recognizing that I'm not the center of the universe. Take a look at what Paul wrote, the next verse in your outline. He wrote this, look out for one another's interests, not just your own. And I would suggest to you, there are two primary spheres, not the only spheres, but two primary spheres that God wants you and I to practice that counsel in our lives. The first one, obviously, is our family. The second one is in our small group. And here's why. And it makes sense, I think, once I explain it to you. The reality is, folks, in a large group like this, it's fairly easy to act and even be selfless. You know why? Because no one's making demands on you right now, are they? I mean, unless you're on the platform, unless you were singing this morning or speaking, nobody's really making demands of you, expectations of you, requirements of you. So in a large group like this, it's fairly simple to be selfless. But folks, when we get in the close proximity of our family, and we get in the close proximity of our small group, folks, the reality is our selflessness is put to the test. It's tried. It's it's really tempered. It's stretched. And so Paul wrote this. The person who plants selflessness, uh, selfishness rather, ignores the needs of others and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have to, all he'll have to show for it in his life is weeds. 
But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the work in him, harvests a crop of real and eternal life. Now, I want us to notice three things about that. The first thing is that the growth work that Paul is talking about is actually growing in selflessness, to become less self-centered. The second thing I want you to notice is Paul tells us that God will reward that work with real and eternal life. Now, you might ask yourself, be thinking, why would God do that? Why would God reward us for that work? Here's why. Because God wants you and he wants me to be selfless. Because God himself is selfless. And he wants us, therefore, to reflect his character. The other thing, the third thing I want you to notice in that verse is Paul says that process of growth, of becoming selfless in your life and mine, is a process. In other words, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not even going to happen in 40 days of community. It's a lifelong process. That's why Paul says, he, he says they're letting God do the growth work. In other words, it's an ongoing present process in the moment and in the future. It's an ongoing process. And so again, folks, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen all in all in these 40 days. It a, requires a lifetime of work. Take, and that's why Paul said this in the next verse. Earlier in the letter, he said, live freely animated and motivated by God's Spirit, then you won't feed the compulsions of selfish, selfishness. Underline that phrase, the compulsions of selfishness, because that's really what it is. It's a compulsion. And so here's what I want to say to you. The key for you and I to defeating the compulsions of selfishness in life, that bent toward self and thinking about my needs, my wants, my desires, and forgetting about other people's wants, needs, desires, and hurts, is to allow God's Spirit to work in our lives. Not just be present in our life, but to work in our lives, to be about the process of transformation. That's the first building block, the first antidote to the negative attitude of selfishness. It's selflessness. Let me give you the second negative attitude that destroys relationships in your life and mind, and it's pride. Pride destroys relationships. That's why Solomon said this, pride leads to arguments. Pride leads to arguments. And folks, I would suggest to you, and this is my opinion, you're free to disagree, but I would suggest to you that that reality is on full display in America today. I mean, you pick the arena, politics, healthcare, education, even religion, folks. We, we see pride showing up in all sorts of ways. It shows up in criticism. It shows up in judgmentalism. It shows up in perfectionism. It shows up in unhealthy comparisons and competitions. But regardless of how it shows up, here's what I can guarantee you. Pride is always, always destructive. That, that's why the psalmist says this. He, he says, um, pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to ruin. And Eugene Peterson paraphrased that verse by saying this. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. And so what we need to understand, the second you know, negative attitude that destroys our relationship is pride. So what's the antidote? Well, the antidote, quite honestly, is humility. Humility is the antidote to pride. Take a look at what Peter said. He said, live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, and be humble. Now, here's what I want to suggest to you folks. To, to have humility in your life, to be humble in your life and mine, it must require us to do the first four things that Peter lists there. We need to live in harmony. We need to be sympathetic. We need to love each other. And we need to have compassion. And in the same way, for you and I to have healthy relationships, we need to possess all five of those attributes. All of those must be present in our life. Because folks, when we live in harmony, when we're sympathetic with others, when we love one another, we love other people, we have compassion and we're humble, you know what that does? It builds our relationships up. And when our relationships are built up, we have healthy relationship. But I want you to notice at the very beginning of that statement that Paul, or rather Peter says, live in harmony. Now he didn't say live in uniformity. And the reason why is because the two are vastly different. When we talk about uniformity, folks, that's about everyone seeing things, thinking about things, and, and talking about things, and feeling about things in the exact same way. But, but being harmonious is completely different. Harmony is about different people having the same goal, the same mission, the same purpose in life, but being vastly different people. And that only happens if there's humility in your life and mine. 
That's the only way we can have true harmony. Think about it like this. The, the beauty of, say, orchestra music or band music is the fact that we have all these different instruments playing in harmony, not in unison. And the same way I would say to you folks, the beauty that we ought to see in Christian community, the beauty that we ought to see in the church ought to be produced and should be produced when different individuals are living in harmony, serving one Lord to accomplish one mission. And that mission is the Great Commission. And yet here's the reality. You know it and I know it. You see it. You read about it. You hear about it. Yet for many, many people, the biggest turnoff to Christian community, the biggest turnoff to the church is the fact that we as Christians talk a great deal about one Lord and one mission but there's so much disharmony and disunity and disagreement in our communities. And it's over non-essential issues, folks. It's not about the essential issues. It's about the non-essential. Things like music, political preferences, ministry preferences. It's about the non-essentials. And so I want to challenge you. We as a Christian community, we as individuals who profess to follow Jesus need to turn that trend around. And we need to turn it around by maximizing humility and harmony and minimizing pride and division. And the only way that happens is by allowing Jesus to control our attitudes and control our actions and reactions. Take a look at what Paul said about this. He said, let the Spirit change your way of thinking and making you into a new person. Would you underline that phrase, let the Spirit change your way of thinking? Here's what I want to propose to you. Just think about it, folks. What, how would our impact on the community and in the world be different? If we as Christians were more concerned about being light than being right, how would our impact in the world, how would our fellowship in the community be different, folks, if we're more interested about showing the way than having our way? How different would things be if we saw things differently, if we saw them from God's perspective and we embrace that? Here's what I want us to understand. The law of relationships states that you and I become like the people we spend most time with. That's the law of relationship. When we spend time around negative people, critical people, what are we going to become? Negative, critical people. But if we spend time around humble people, we, we spend time around compassionate people, what do we become? Humble and compassionate. And so, folks, I want to suggest to you, we need to spend more time individually and corporately with Jesus, because I want you to notice what Paul said about Jesus. He told the Philippians this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to be clinged to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Repeatedly, Paul talked about the humility of Jesus. And the reason why is because no one, I would argue, no one has ever lived a more humble life than Jesus. And so, folks, when we spend time around Jesus and with Jesus, you know what happens in your life and mine? We become more humble. We become people who reflect the character of Jesus. And in humility, that builds up and, and strengthens our relationship. So that's the second negative attitude is pride, and the antidote to it is humility. Let me give you the third negative attitude that destroys relationships in your life and mine, and that's insecurity. Insecurity in your life and mine destroys relationships. That's why Solomon said this, the fear of human opinions disables. And the reason it disables you and the reason it disables me, folks, is because we are then controlled by people's opinions of us people's thoughts, people's assessment, what they think we ought to do, what they think we ought not to do. And I want to promise you, when we live as a, in fear of people's opinions, that is a surefire way, not only for insecurity to creep up in your life, take root in your life, manifest itself in your life, but it's also a fantastic surefire way to lack intimacy in your relationships. And here's why, because folks, you and I will never get close to people we're afraid of. We will never get close to people we feel like we can't trust, that we feel like they're going to hurt us, reject us. And I'm going to say to you, the number one fear most of us have in our relationships is that very thing, rejection. We're terrified that the people we know, the people we value, the people we associate with in our families, at work, in the church, we're afraid they're going to reject us. And folks, that is the oldest fear in the book. It goes all the way back 
to Adam and Eve. Do you remember when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the, the fruit of the tree of the good knowledge of good and evil? And the next thing that Adam said to God after they sinned was, I was afraid because I was a naked, and so I hid. Now clearly the text tells us that, that Adam feared his physical nakedness. And I would just say to you in our culture, it seems like we're less and less afraid of that all the time, at least some folks. But there was another thing that he was afraid of in his relationships, and that was emotional nakedness. You see, Adam was afraid that God would find him out, that God would see, become aware of his sin. He began, he'd become aware of his faults and his failures. And folks, many of us today live in that same fear. We are afraid to be emotionally exposed. We are afraid of our emotional nakedness. We're so afraid that if we really let people get close to us, they're going to know who we truly are, and they'll reject us. And so as a result, what we do is we wear a mask with one another and we build up walls because we don't want anyone to get close enough to us to ever know who we really are because we think if they know who I am, truly who I am, they'll reject me. And yet that strategy to wear a mask and build walls actually fuels the insecurity. It fuels the fear. And you know why? Because we realize that the person that the other people are accepting isn't me. The person we let them see is not me. And so we know they're not really accepting me. And it just fuels the fear and the insecurity in our life. Now here's what I want to say to you. All of us, all of us, to one degree or another, and some of us painfully so, know the pain of rejection. All of us have experienced it. Maybe from a parent, maybe from a teacher, maybe from peers, maybe from many, many people, maybe from a spouse. I don't know who it is, but I promise you all of us know the pain of rejection. And for that reason, many of us decided early in life, maybe later in life, but many early in our lives, we decided early on, you know what, I'm never going to let anyone get close enough to me again to hurt me like that. And so I'm going to build walls. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm not going to let people see me. And I want to say to you, if that's true for you, and it is for many of us, if that's true for you, I want you to hear my heart when I say to you, I am truly sorry for the hurt. I am truly sorry for the rejection. But I also want to say to you this, if anyone understands the pain of that rejection, it's Jesus. And here's why I say that. If you're familiar with the gospel, Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends, and then he was put to death by the very people he came to serve and to save. And so if anyone understands rejection, if anyone understands the mistreatment and the pain of rejection, it's Jesus. And yet here's the thing and the reason I bring it up. Jesus did not let the rejection embitter him. He didn't let the rejection cause him to build walls and to wear a mask. In fact, when he hung on the cross, as those same individuals who were crucifying, Jesus prayed, take a look at your outline, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I share that with you folks because I want to say to you, with the help of God, we need to follow Jesus' example. We have to refuse to let rejection lead us to build walls around our lives. Because when we do, it is a prison that we do not want to live in. It's a self-imposed prison that we do not want to live in. So instead, we need to ask God for the strength, for the courage, for the wherewithal through His Spirit to be vulnerable with people again, to risk with people again. Because when we do that with God's help and the help of His Holy Spirit, folks, we'll find a new joy and a new peace and a new love and a new hope and the awareness of God's love and mercy and protection and provision flowing into our lives again. There'll be new life brought into our lives. And so insecurity destroys relationship. Does it for you? It does it for me. So what's the antidote? The antidote, as you probably have guessed, is love. Love is the antidote to insecurity. Take a look at what John writes. John the Elder writes, love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it shows that his love, whose love, God's love, has not been perfected in us. And folks, the way God's love expels fear in your life and mine is it moves our focus from ourselves to others. And some of you will probably find this interesting. Some of you will know it's true. Those of you who know me, I mean, one of my greatest fears in life, like many of yours, was actually public speaking. <laughs> Standing in front of people like you and, and speaking about the Lord. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest things God helped me to, to, to work through that fear was He helped me understand to stop focusing on what you think about me and what others think about me and think about God, what God wants to do for you. 
In fact, when I had an invitation early on in my ministry, and I was still very, very terrified of public speaking, I had a chance to speak to about 5,000 people, and I was terrified, and God helped me understand as I prayed about this. I said, Lord, you've got to help me. I'm going to stroke out. And Jerry, he said to me, Jerry, all I want you to do is do introductions. I just want you to stand in front of people and say, friends, I want you to meet my Jesus. And then I want you to look in my heart to me, and I say, Jesus, I want you to meet my friends. And I said, Jesus, I could do that. See, folks, the love, when God helps us, God's love helps us stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about what he wants to do in the lives of other people. The fear is vanquished. It goes away. It's put in proper perspective. That's what God's love does for us. But it takes God's love. It takes God. We cannot do that for ourselves. We cannot will it. We can't just choose it. We need God to do it for us. That's why John also said this. He said, as we live in God, underline that, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And as a result, so we will not be afraid. So you want the answer, you want the solution to replacing insecurity with love? It's to have a relationship with God. It's to live in God. And that means we need to have a relationship with Jesus. Because when we say yes to Jesus, we're also saying yes to something significant and transforming. And that is we're saying yes to a love that can expel fear in your life and mine. And we need to understand, folks, that's the antidote to insecurity. It's love, the love of God in us and through us and filling us. Let me give you the fourth negative attitude that destroys relationships in your life and mine, and that's resentment. Resentment. And this is a big one, folks, and we all know that. Take a look at what Job's friend told him. Eliphaz said to Job, to worry yourself to death, resentment is a foolish, senseless thing to do. And the reason he said that, because he just recognized the fact that many, I hope you recognize, I know many of us recognize, is that as imperfect people... And you are, and I am, we are imperfect people. As imperfect people, two things will happen. One, we will hurt other people intentionally and, some, and many times unintentionally. The second thing is other people will hurt us, sometimes intentionally, many times unintentionally. But the fact of life is, because we're imperfect people, we are going to be hurt in life. And others are going to hurt us, and we are going to hurt others. That is a given. But a second given that we fail to recognize many times, folks, is we can choose what we do with the hurt. We can choose how we respond. See, we can either choose to let that hurt make us resentful, or we could choose to let that hurt make us more like Jesus, to respond like Jesus, to feel like Jesus, to love like Jesus. Now I want to state another what I think is an absolute universal truth, and that is every one of us here have had, and maybe even are sitting here today, have had unrealistic expectations about something or someone. I promise you, every one of us have, and maybe even right now, have unrealistic expectations about something or someone. And I want to tell you, folks, unrealistic expectations set us up for frustration. Unmet expectations are the number one cause of frustration that lead to anger. And folks, I want to tell you, when we have unrealistic expectations, we're set up for frustration. And when we don't deal with those frustrations in a healthy, biblical way, I promise you, they will turn into bitterness and resentment. Every single time in your life and mine. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, so how do I deal with the frustrations in my life? They're going to happen. How do I deal with, with, with the expectations in my life? I'm going to have them. How do I do the, deal with those things in such a way that I don't let them turn into bitterness and resentment? And I'm going to give you two steps that are absolutely essential for you and I to avoid letting you know, un unrealistic expectations and frustrations turn into bitterness and resentment. The first thing is we pray and we ask God to fill us with a genuine love for that other person. We pray and we ask God to give us a genuine love for the other person. And then the second thing we do, equally important, is then we speak to the person in love. Folks, as Christians, there is a right way and there is a wrong way to deal with frustration and expectations. And the wrong way is for you and I to talk about the person rather than to the person. And the reason why that's wrong is because it breeds resentment. It causes division, which is relationally destructive. 
That's why the psalmist said this. He said, since my heart was embittered, you could just write in there, resentful, that's what it is, and my soul deeply wounded, I was stupid, and I could not understand. You understand what the psalmist is saying? He's saying, you know, when I let my actions and reactions flow out of resentment, I didn't think straight. And because I wasn't thinking straight, I acted in relationally toxic and unbiblical ways. And that's just not true for the psalmist. That's true for you and me as well. And so let me give us a little bit of counsel, folks. When you and I are facing frustration, when we're dealing with, you know, unmet expectations, we need people in our lives desperately need people in our lives who will help us see the person and the frustration from God's perspective and then love us enough to keep us from doing stupid and unbiblical things. We desperately need those people in our life, which is why the Hebrew writer says this, look after each other, watch out that no bitterness, again, read resentment, takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Now, that's what he calls us to do, but I want to promise you folks, you and I cannot do that and will not do that unless we decide that our counsel to one another is going to be completely honest. In other words, we decide that we're going to speak the truth in love, because here's what I notice about most of us, and, and, and not just in the church, but in humanity in general, most of us are about 95% honest, which means we left 5% unsaid. And folks, that last 5% more often than not in your life and mine is the right thing to say, the biblical thing to say, the necessary thing to say, because that last 5%, if we said it, would help the person, that brother, the sister, look and act and react more like Jesus, to act and react in a more biblical way. And yet the reality is we, we fear their disappointment. We, we fear their rejection. And so we never say it. So folks, I want to encourage you. If we want to live in biblical community, if we want to truly do what Jesus said to do, folks, we have to have and be willing to have fully honest, completely honest, speaking the truth and love conversation with another. We need to be willing to have fully honest conversations. So let's get practical about this real quick. I have just a minute. Let me give you practical examples. So if someone comes to your group, someone comes to you, and they're frustrated. You could tell there's unmet expectations, and they're frustrated. And they want to begin talking about another person. Then I want to encourage you to share with them something a pastor taught me decades ago. He said, the first rule of the church Christian community is this. When a brother or sister comes like that, you say something like this. Say, I could tell you feel very, very deeply about that. This is very, very important to you. So I'm going to ask you, the first rule of the church is, did you talk to the other person about this? And 95% of the time, what they're going to say is, no, I haven't. And so then you need to say, the second rule of Christian community is this, then I can't listen to this. I'll pray with you. I'll encourage you. I'll care for you. But I can't listen to this. You need to go and talk to them. Now, if they say to you, I have talked to them, and, and they're still frustrated, so you know what? Matthew 18, then I'm willing to go, if it's helpful, to go and talk with you and them about this issue. But again, I can't listen to you talk about that brother or sister. Folks, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to truly live into this, to truly have fully honest conversations so that resentment doesn't settle into our lives, that, that bitterness doesn't settle into our lives. So resentment destroys relationship. Here's the antidote. The antidote is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Paul said this, you must make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the other person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And what Paul is teaching us there is something we all know, that healthy relationships take massive, massive doses of forgiveness over and over again. And folks, there are two reasons, very quickly, two reasons we need to forgive others. The first is because God has forgiven us. If we're a Christian, the first reason we're to forgive others is because God has forgiven us. But, the, but a second reason, equally important, is we need to forgive if we're a follower of Jesus other people because we continue to need God's forgiveness. It's not once and done. You and I continue to do things that need God's forgiveness. And you remember what Jesus taught us to pray. If you don't, take a look at it there on the outline. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us as we forgive everyone else. 
Forgive us as we forgive. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, pray this way. God, forgive me to the degree I forgive other people. Now, let's think about that. Do we really want God to apply that standard to us? Do we really want to say to God, God, forgive me to the degree I forgive other people? Showed forgiveness to me to the degree I show forgiveness to other people? Probably not. And so the second reason we need to forgive others is for our own sake. Because we continue to need God's forgiveness. Now, I think most of us would say, most of us would go, you know what, Jerry, I know that. And I know you do. And I know you do. And yet, if we're honest, many of us would say, but I can't forgive him. I can't forgive her. I can't forgive them. And you're right. In your own power, and your own strength, you can't. That's why we need Jesus. Because the reality is, folks, human forgiveness, human love has its limits. But God's love and God's forgiveness is limitless. That's why Paul wrote this. Once our lives were full of resentment and envy, but then Christ saved us. Not because we are good enough to be saved, but because of his kindness and love. By washing away our sins and giving us the new joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit. All because of what Jesus our Savior did so that he could declare us good in God's eyes. Folks, the key to forgiveness in your life and mine, however difficult, is beginning with receiving God's forgiveness ourselves, and then out of gratitude for that forgiveness, letting it motivate us and compel us to forgive others. And the reason we need to do that, the reason this is so important, is because, folks, holding on to hurt simply breeds resentment. It just breeds resentment. And again, resentment in your heart and my heart, in your life and mine, you know what it does? It turns our hearts into a desert. And it makes us emotionally dry up. That's why some of us struggle to have and have so little to give to a spouse, to a parent, to a child, to a peer. Because we're emotionally dried up because our heart is full of resentment. And so I want to say to you, let it go. Release the resentment by forgiving the person who hurts you. You see, I really believe, folks, that's why God brought some of us here today, because God wants to say to us, you and me, not just you, you and me, what he said to the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Take a look at the last verse here in LA. He said, forget what happened before, and do not think about the past. I'm going to do something new in your life, and I will make rivers on a dry land. Folks, God wants to do something new in your life and mine in the very midst of these 40 days. He wants to give us a fresh start. And folks, that start begins by letting God help us to let go of the insecurity and the pride and the resentment and the bitterness. And to fill it and put it in this place instead to help us be filled with selflessness and humility and love and forgiveness. That's how God can and will give us a new start in our relationships, in our lives, and in our spiritual journey. Let's bow our heads for prayer. As we close for prayer, I just want to ask you to answer for yourself four very personal questions. And the first question is simply this, folks. Who do you need to be more unselfish with in your life? Is it a spouse? Is it a child? Is it a parent? Is it a peer? Who do you need to be more unselfish with? Second question. Who have you been critical and judgmental toward? Third. Who do you need to learn and decide to be more emotionally open with, to go to and to say to them, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I've been wearing a mask, forgive me. And the fourth question, the final question, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to stop resenting? I ask those questions because the antidotes to resentment, the antidote to insecurity, the antidote to selfishness and pride are found in a relationship with Jesus. 
Because when we get that relationship right, folks, all the other relationships in our lives fall into place. And so if you've never entered into that relationship, you've never made Jesus the leader and forgiver and friend of your life, then I would encourage you right now to do that. Or if you've let that relationship grow cold, you've become indifferent to it, then I want to encourage you to, to recommit to that relationship this morning. Just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, you've seen and you know every relationship I've ever had, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know all too well how selfishness and insecurity and pride and resentment have messed up my relationships. And so I come today admitting, confessing my need for your help in my relationships and in my life. So please come into my life and put your love in me. Because Jesus, more than anything else, I want and I need a fresh start in a relationship with you. I'll give you just a moment to pray that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for putting in your word very clearly in a very straightforward way what builds our relationships and what tears them down. Thank you for giving that to us. Thank you for your word teaching us the ways of life in truth. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. I want to invite all of you to take out your gray connection card this morning. Online, I'm going to ask our chat host to, um, online host, to put the next step uh, link in the chat window. You know, I love the sunshine. I love being outside and, and being in the brightness of the day. And God's word is light. And he has shed light on the dark areas of our hearts and lives today through his word. And so I think... Um, with any of these things that we've heard today, there's an area in our life where we could check a box and say, that is me. As a recovering people pleaser, I definitely could uh, relate with insecurity and love. It's loving to tell someone the truth instead of trying to protect myself and to be insecure thinking that I need you to like me. So that's something I can say today and I'm confessing to you. And that's simply what we need to do. We need to confess to one another. You don't have to tell your dirty, dark secrets but share with someone, share that burden, let them know. You can do that today on your connection card. You can do that through the next steps there online. But my decision today, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith to swallow your pride today and check one of those boxes. Um, maybe you want information on how to begin a relationship with, with Jesus, how you can continue that journey if you've already made that decision. And here in the 40 Days of Community series, Make a decision today to attend next week. I think God's doing some very important things in our hearts and lives as we're going through this study together. Pray for each other every day. You can do that as we go through this study. And then invite a friend to attend next week's service. So that's what I want us to do as a next step today. I encourage you to do that. Take that step of faith and do that. Also, before we leave, if you'd like to give today, you can do that. There's envelopes at the back of the room. Uh, you can do that online as well. There's going to be a link in the window there. But that's just another way that we can worship Jesus and that we could take the steps of faith that build our relationship with Jesus as we journey with him. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I hope to see you again next week. Enjoy the rest of your day.